Traders Point, how we doing? So good to be with you today. And I just wanna hit this one more time. Tonight is our last vision night here at our Northwest campus from six to eight. We would love to see you there. These have been powerful nights of worship and also looking ahead as Pastor Aaron shares the vision for where our church is going. And I just wanna encourage you, no matter if you miss yours at your campus or if you're a part of the Northwest campus, get to this one. If you're in that space, if you wanna move from Traders Point is the church that I attend or go to, to I'm on mission there. I'm a part of what is happening. Get here, I will see you 6 p.m. tonight at the Northwest campus. And as far as today goes, we are continuing in our series, Asleep, Asleep. And we've been using this as kind of like a metaphor of sorts of what it looks like to be going through life and to be half awake and half asleep, not fully awake and not completely asleep. And I was reminded of this space uh, this past week, me and my wife uh, were taking a nap. And I just want you to know how much of a blessing it is from God that you get to take a nap. You have four children, but the stars align and you get to take a nap. And I'm excited, I fall right to sleep. But I'm in that space where you're not fully asleep yet, but your dream has already started. You ever been in a dream and you go to do something in your dream, but then you wake up in the real world and you're almost like embarrassed of like, did anyone see? Am I just like flailing my hands? I was in that space. I'm in my dream and I'm playing disc golf. Listen, I've never played disc golf in my life. I don't even like Frisbees. But here I am in the dream and I go to throw this thing and I throw it beautifully. And I follow all the way through and my hand goes all the way through from the dream world into the real world and I hit my wife in the forehead, pow. <laughs> she, she's quick, she catches my hand and throws it back into my face, hits me. I'm fully awake at this point. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's that space. Not exactly, you know what I mean? But it's that, it's that time that, that we go through, and a lot of times maybe you feel it on Mondays. It's just kind of foggy. You walk in and there's no energy there. People are moving. There's busyness, but there's no passion. There's no, there's no fire. We're just kind of going through the motions. How do we get out of that space? And that's what we've been looking at in this series. And to do that, we've been studying these letters from Jesus to the churches in the book of Revelation. And what we've said is, hey, these are real letters to real churches and people in a time of history. We even have a map here. Like we know where these churches were. They were in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. But there's also something unique about these letters. In the book of Revelation, he makes it clear that he chooses seven. And seven just isn't any number. It's a number in the Bible that represents completeness or, or wholeness. So we've said, hey, these words that Jesus penned are for these churches, but at the same time, they're for all churches at all time. So what does Jesus have for us? What does Jesus have for our church? And this is more than a Bible study, right? This is God shaking us out of our complacency, waking us up to a greater purpose in our lives. And today we're gonna to cover the last letter that Jesus writes. It's a letter to the church in Laodicea. It's in chapter three, starting in verse 14. If you have a Bible, you can get there. If not, don't worry, everything will be on this giant screen behind me. And we're gonna read it in its entirety. Read it as it would have been written and delivered. And then we're just gonna go line by line and say, Jesus, what do you, what do you have for us? So these are the words of Jesus starting in verse 14. 
Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea or to the leader in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This is a very different letter than the one we read last week. Last week to the church in Philadelphia, God had nothing bad to say about that church. This time he has nothing good to say about the church in Laodicea. And think about how big of a deal that is. He says, I see everything, I know everything, and then doesn't say one good thing. And so what we're gonna do is just, we're gonna start right here at the top of this letter and kind of work our way towards it. And, and to say, okay, Jesus, what are you saying to them? And what, are, what do you have for us? So starting right here in verse 14, it says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. If you've been with us, then you know this is the pattern that Jesus has been using in every letter. Before he gets to the words that he has for him, whether it's to comfort or to challenge, he starts by saying who these words are coming from. He says, this is who I am and why you should take these words seriously. And here he gives us three new ones. It says, Jesus is the amen. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And Jesus is the beginning. What does that mean? Well, Jesus says, I am the amen. Now, amen is a very churchy word, right? Chances are you don't hear it a lot outside of these spaces. Like you're not gonna be making an order this week, like, okay, place your order, then there's like, okay, I wanna repeat that back to you. That's the number one with cheese, no pickle, large fry, large Coke, amen? What is this, Chick-fil-A? No, but amen is a real word. It's not just a cue to let you know you can open your eyes and we're done with the prayer. Amen, here, here's what it means. It means so be it. It means it is done. It means truly. It's a verbal guarantee that what I just said is true. It's, it comes from a Hebrew word to confirm. And Jesus says, I am the A-M. I am the it is finished. I love the way 2 Corinthians 1.20 talks about this. It says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. This is what he's saying. Jesus is saying everything in God's word, everything that has ever happened from the beginning to the end, it is finished in my name, in my life, in my resurrection. 
Every plan that God ever put forward, every prophecy that was ever given, every promise extended has been fulfilled in the name of Jesus. That God said from the beginning, I'm gonna find a way to get my people back. And when Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, but resurrected, defeating sin and death. It says now a resounding yes comes through that it is finished. That is the Jesus. That is the one who is speaking now. And then he says, I am the faithful and true witness. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who is called upon. They saw something and now they're being asked to testify to it. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who has seen it all. And you can trust my words because I was there from the beginning. And I'm going to be there at the end as well. And that kind of leads us to the last descriptor that Jesus gave us. He says, I am the beginning. Chances are you've never described yourself that way. He says, I am the beginning. He's saying, I am the source of it all. I I love the way that Colossians talks about this. It says, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is the one who is speaking now. The hope is that they would have read this and everyone would have leaned in and say, what is he going to say to us? And that's the posture I want for all of us today, leaning in, Jesus, what do you have for us? Because you are the amen, you are the faithful and true, you are the source of all of it. Now look at what Jesus says. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, context has been key for us in understanding these letters. Lukewarm isn't, once again, a phrase we use all the time, but it would have made sense to the people in Laodicea. You see, this is an incredible city, but it had no water source of its own. You had Acropolis to the north, which was known for their hot springs, hot water. It was used for healing. And then to the east, you had Colossae, and they had this refreshing spring, this cold water. But Laodicea had nothing. They had this aqueduct system that would bring the water all the way in, but by the time it got to them, there was no use for it. It was was lukewarm. So they understood this word. I I want you to think about it like this. Maybe it's easier. Anybody, all of our campus, love coffee? Anybody love coffee? Yes, raising hands. I'm a big fan. And I love coffee in all of its forms. I love hot coffee, like on a crisp fall morning, an Americano sitting up and just a warm hug just kind of goes over your body. It's it's incredible. I love iced coffee in the summer. It's hot outside. It's Indiana. Humidity is about 300%. But you get this iced coffee and it's refreshing and it takes it in. But as all coffee lovers know, there is one coffee that no one loves. Is lukewarm coffee. You know that cup that you pour in the morning and you set it there, but then you get busy and you're running around and then you come back to it and you know it's been too long. You know what's in this cup and you pick it up and you look at it disgusted and you're like, I gotta try. And then as soon as it touches your lips, you're like, I wish I wouldn't have tried. (laughs) When Jesus says, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth, it's much more violent than that. I love the way Dr. Tony Evans translates this. He says, y'all make me want to throw up. (laughs) Think about that. What is it that makes Jesus want to throw up when it comes to his church? 
What is it that causes Jesus to reject his church? And what we're going to see, it's maybe it's surprising to you. Because I think a lot of times we think, well, good people get to go to God and bad people are rejected by God. But what we're going to see in this letter is that's not the case. That's not the most important thing. That's not what bothers God more than anything. And we're going to see that Jesus spoke about this during his ministry here on earth, and he continues it from heaven. Look at what his problem is with this church. He says, you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's saying you could not be more wrong. You think you have it all. And they did. It was an incredible city. It was a rich city, like richy rich, like all kinds of money. So much money that one time their city got hit by an earthquake in AD 60, demolished the whole thing. The Roman Empire came to them and said, hey, let us help you put this thing back together. They said, we're good. We don't need your money. We got enough. We have plenty. And then they did it. And we see that this mindset, this I have enough, I'm good, I don't need anything, began to bleed over into their relationship with God. And it was one thing to believe they didn't need anything from this world or from anyone, but now it's kind of drifted to now they don't even think that they need anything from God, they're, they're good. And this was Jesus' biggest problem. Think about this. He got into so much trouble from who he was hanging out with. They were like, you shouldn't be with those people. And you remember what Jesus said when they questioned him? He says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, not those who think they are self-sufficient, not those who think they are okay without me. I've called to come those who know they are sinners. That's who he's here for. And anytime we pretend like it's not that, he's offended. Anytime it's that, then he rejects us completely. And that's where this church was. They were in this place, and this is how they were known. They were self-sufficient. I don't need anything from anyone. And this self-sufficiency had brought them to this place of complacency. And I just want to read the definition of what it means to be complacent, to bring this to life to us. It says, to be complacent is to be pleased, especially with oneself or one's merits, advantages, situations, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. That's where this church is. They're, they're facing danger and they're oblivious to it. They're blind to all the things that are around them. They can't see how desperate they are for the things of God. And maybe you can relate with that. I know that was my response. When I got invited to church for the first time, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? My response was, I'm good. I'm a good person. Church really isn't my thing. Do you hear what I was saying? I've got it figured out. I don't need anyone, anything, any place, or any God. And I'm thankful that in that moment, she didn't just say, okay, well then, adios. She said, church is not about that. Church is about Jesus, what he has done on our behalf, what he has saved, saved us from, rescued us for. It's this beautiful life, and it intrigued me. 
to the point that I did change my answer. And I got to see that God was very different than I thought he was. And if you're in that same spot today, self-sufficient, I think I got it, I'm okay. I just wanna encourage you to hear the words of Jesus. We're not as good as we think we are. Look at what he says to the church. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Once again, Jesus looks at them and he says, I know you think you've arrived. I know you think you've made it. I know you've amassed all of this wealth. And that's what he uses here, these three symbols that the church in Laodicea, the city in Laodicea was known for. And the symbols are, there was this banking industry. They were, they were just printing this stuff, lots of money, all right? The cloth, they had this wool that had become known and was being exported around the world. This black wool, beautiful. And then this eye medicine. People would travel all around to get to this place for this ointment that would bring healing to the eyes of people. And Jesus looks at them and he says, I know you have all of this, but what if I told you it was useless? He says, yeah, you, you have all of this money, but what can you really buy with it? It's just for this world, soon it'll be no more. And I, I wanna encourage you instead to buy gold from me. And then he says, these garments. He says, I want you to, I don't want you to just live your life thinking that you can cover up the darkness and the wretchedness with some new shirts or to look better and that somehow that's gonna cure things. He says, I want you to buy this white, this white fabric from me. And this is a different kind of white, right? This isn't like Larry Bird white, you know what I mean? It's not like, this is like a dazzling white, like a radiant white, like think of a spotlight. He says, I want you to buy this from me. This is the only thing, my righteousness, that you can lay upon yourself that is really gonna deal with the spiritual needs that you have. And he says, instead of using this eye ointment, which is useful for some things, it's completely useless when it comes to me. And instead, I wanna offer you true healing so that you can see things for the way that you are, starting with yourselves and then to see the kingdom that I've come and what I want you to be a part of. Amen. So as I was reading through this, I get it. I like being self-sufficient. I like having power. I like having control. What makes you feel self-sufficient? For them, it was these three things. And they had these and it felt like they were independent. They didn't need anyone or anything. But here's the thing. A self-sufficient church is an oxymoron. There's no way. We can't build this thing. We can't make this thing come alive. We can't bring God's, it, it comes from a space. It's, it's literally built out of a, a place of dependency, saying we can't do it alone. You've saved us. Now we wanna be on mission with you to bring your kingdom here. And it brings us to this question of how do you buy something from God? What does that even look like? What's the exchange rate on that? How do I purchase this gold? How do I purchase this cloth? How do I purchase this medicine that only he has, that I can't earn and I can't pay for? Faith is our currency. It's to believe. It's to let go of everything else, all the things I've been dependent on, all the things I've been looking to for my identity and to say, it'll never do it. My only hope, my only shot is to be completely dependent on him and to get the spiritual riches 
and to get the spiritual righteousness and to get the spiritual healing that I so desperately need and it can only come from God. Where are you at with that? And I love that Jesus doesn't leave them there. He comes to this place, he exposes them, he shows them who they really are, but then he comes back with some hope. Look at this, look at what he says. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Think about this. I correct and discipline everyone I love. He says, I love you. This is the same guy that just said, you make me throw up. And if you ever have had a sibling, you understand this. <laughs> you can love them and they can make you want to be sick. And then he says, but be diligent. I've just exposed it to you. I've just shown you all the things that you need, that you should be desperate for, that you're pretending like you don't need. And he says, I want you to turn from your indifference. What does indifference look like? Indifference looks like being asleep. Indifference looks like I could take it or I could leave it. I, I could read my Bible. I could pray. I could go to church. I could not. I could go through my life and kind of manage it myself. Or I could make a prayer or a Hail Mary here or there. And maybe God will step in. But here's the thing, I don't want to live like that. And it's not the plan that God has for us either. It's not what he's desiring. He wants us to lean in, to trust that he is on the other side, to look to him to provide for us as a heavenly father. So the question that we're gonna look at for the rest of our time is how do we develop a dependency on God? How do we develop a dependency on God? Because listen, we can pretend. We can pretend like we don't need God. We can pretend like we have it all under control. I can pretend a lot of things. I can pretend I don't have to pay my mortgage. No, let me pretend for a while. I can pretend like I, I don't need to breathe. But the moment I go to hold my breath, I'm exposed almost immediately. We can pretend like we are not dependent on God. And this is our lives. As we go, we either moving towards God or away from him, either towards dependence on him or to self-sufficiency. And I just wanna give you, do you know what that looks like? Played all the way out, independence played all the way out. The Bible has a word for that and it's called hell. Hell is not a place that God sends people to. It's decisions every day that we make to become independent, to choose what we want. You play that out long enough, it gets exposed. And when you take away God's general grace, you know, bringing the sun up, allowing us to live, waking us up, his general, you take him away completely, which is what happens at the end of time, then you're left completely alone and by yourself and in darkness. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to know that space. I don't wanna live like that until one day when I'm forced because there will come a day at the end where we are completely dependent on him. It's either he did it all and we get to go or we acknowledge him as just another person that we avoided, another thing that we looked past, another thing that was in the way from us getting what we really wanted. So how do we develop a dependency in the here and now? to not live a day pretending 
Like it's not all on him and for him. Prayer. I'm telling you, if, if the space we're so concerned about, if the space we find ourselves in is that space where we're half in, half asleep, half awake, just busy, but filled with motion and empty of heart, the opposite of that is to be in prayer. To be in prayer, to be in God's presence is to be fully awakened to who he is and who we are. To be awakened to what he has for us, what he wants. It's a chance to be reminded of how dependent we are on him. And there's a perfect example. If you're looking for a way to pray, how do I pray? Every single morning, Jesus has got you. It's something that's called the Lord's Prayer. And I know it takes up this whole screen and I know it's kind of overwhelming to look at, but can I just tell you, this prayer is not just one that you recite. It's not just one that you memorize. It's one that you live by. It's one that you fill in the space for. And if we can start our days with this prayer, we will start our days with a dependence on God. Look at this, it's all built in. Pray like this, our Father in heaven. There is a heavenly father above us who loves us and we acknowledge that he wants good things for us, even if they're different than what we think. May your name be kept holy. You are separate. You are different than me in every single way, yet you have chosen to interact with me. So I want everything that you have. I want your holiness and I can't get it alone. May your kingdom come soon. How do we usher in a spiritual kingdom? How do we usher in God's kingdom without him? We can't. May your will be done. I'm great sometimes at making sure my will gets done, but how do I bring in God's will unless I'm dependent on hearing from him and knowing what it is that he wants? I'm reminded of my dependency on God. Give us today the food we need. It's a reminder that when I eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, pizza rolls, cake pop, whatever I bring in, I'm reminded that I, this, I didn't earn this. In the grand scheme of things, all good gifts come from heaven. God gave me this. I am dependent on his gifts even for me to survive. He provides. He forgives us of our sins. Who else can forgive our sins except for God? I'm dependent on him for that. I'm dependent on him now too that I have to forgive those who have hurt me. How do I do that? That's supernatural. I need your help to do just that, to forgive those who have hurt me. And then look at this last line. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If we pray this prayer at the base, we're saying at the beginning of every day, God, I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. Left alone, who knows where I'm gonna be lost. I'm gonna be out in the middle of nowhere, naked, lost, confused. God, bring me with you. God, let me follow you. God, cover me. God, save me. I don't know what I'm gonna face, but you do. So God, lead me and I just wanna be close to you. So here's just some questions to ask ourselves about our prayer lives. Because I'm guessing a lot of us have prayer lives, very different. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, chances are you have a prayer life. And here's just a question to ask. What are you praying for? What would be different if all my prayers last week were answered? What would be different if all my prayers last week were answered? Think about that. What if God came to you today and say, I just want you to know, I got a log, everything you prayed for last night, amen. Let it be true. What would change in your world? Would anything change? Would anyone else notice? Or would there just be a bunch of food that was blessed? 
Would it just be that all the plans that you already have that you ask God to bless even without his power, would anything really change? Because that's the place that we get to. When we get dependent on God and we realize that I can't do this and the life that I have and, and the life that I, I yearn for, it's only possible if he shows up. Do our prayers reflect that kind of dependency? And here's one, what are you praying for that you believe is impossible without God? You wanna know where you come, where, where I come to the end of myself? It's when I'm not just asking for God to bless the things that I'm already doing, the things that I'm pretty sure I'm, I could do if it just kind of goes my way. No, I wanna pray for the impossible. I wanna pray for the big things. I wanna pray for things that I know, unless he shows up, this thing ain't happening. You know, this is a couple weeks ago, um, my son turned nine and it's his birthday. So we have a birthday tradition in our family where they get to go to Target and pick out a toy. Why do they go to Target? Because we're raising them up right in our house. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you can't find it there, you don't need it. Um, but we're there and there's one rule with the birthday gift. You get one gift. And this is really hard for my little fella because he, <laughs> He's just like me. And so he's walking through this toy aisle and he's looking at all the options and he's, he's enamored with Ninja Turtles. Do you remember being young and having a thing that you loved more than, like your world revolved around this thing. That's Ninja Turtles for him. And he's loving it. And they have this new toy section and he grabs one and he's looking at it. He's like, oh, this is incredible. This is incredible. I think I want this. And then he sees another one. And now he's really in trouble. So he's holding both of them and he's standing there and he's just walking back and forth in the aisle. And I'm watching him and all I want, I'm just looking at him, I'm just like, ask me, ask me for both of them, ask me for both of them. But he knows the rules and he's so sweet and he's so kind and he's so pure. He can't bring himself to ask for something like that. So he's just looking at him and he's looking at him. And I finally just go over to him. I was like, hey, bud, what if I got both of them for you? And his eyes about popped out of his head. <laughs> and he said, can you do that? <laughs> I said, buddy, I can buy Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, Master Splinter, Leonardo, all I can get. I said, yeah, buddy, I think we can do that today. And it, it was so emotional for me. I, don't, I was like, why is this getting, to, I was like almost crying thinking about this. And then I'm sitting with God that next week and God's like, do you know why it's bothering you so much? Because that's how you are with me. You come to me believing this is possible. This is what I'm worth. This is what the rules say that I can get. And I don't wanna ask for anything more. And God's like, I'm begging you, ask me. Go big, I want it more than you do. The next thing we can do to develop a dependency on God is fasting. Fasting, that's literally what it is. It's taking something that I'm dependent on, like food, and I'm skipping that meal, I'm fasting from it, and now I'm spending that time devoted to God. I'm feasting on him instead of this meal. Or maybe it's, it's fasting from something you've become dependent on. Maybe it's something that started out as a good thing, but now as it's gotten going, you're kind of convicted. You're like, I think I need this thing more than I should. So what would it look like this week to either you know, fast from a meal or fast from 
alcohol or fast from Netflix or whatever that thing is that I'm looking to for more than I should, it's an immediate way to be reminded of our dependency on God. And the final thing I would say is just Sabbath and rest. Sabbath is something that happens once a week. It's a 24-hour period where literally I stop. I cease from working. And I realize that this world, my world, is not dependent on me because when I stop working, the world keeps spinning. And I get to sit in God's grace and be reminded that he is God and I am not. When we sleep well at night, get a good sleep, we're going to sleep trusting that even though my eyes are closing, God's aren't. Even though I'm unconscious, he's not. He sees it all. He's the faithful and true witness. And I give my life to him. Maybe I need to step into a season of just good rest and Sabbath. Can I ask you, what do you need from God? I'm telling you, if there wasn't a hundred things that are spilling out of your mouth right now, this would be a good time to go back and to redo it, to turn from our indifference and to believe that, God, I need you more than anything else. I want you in my life. I want you to provide for me. I want you to give me what I don't even know that I want or need, and I'm going to trust you that in your hands this life can be more than I could ever make it on my own. I don't want to pretend. And if we lean into him, listen, we already know his response. We already know where he is. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And it's a beautiful line until you really start thinking about this. Jesus is writing to this church and he's on the outside of it. They haven't even realized that he's not there. They're just going through the motions. They got all the money. They got all the power. They got all the abilities. They're making this thing go. And Jesus is like, you're forgetting one thing. It's me. Let me in. And I will come in and I will share a meal with you. And I will give you more than you could ever attain on this planet. I'll share a meal with you. This is an intimate moment. A chance to sit down and to be with God. You know, for followers of Jesus, for those that have opened that door and received him, we have a, a word, what we call this meal. It's called communion. And communion is a moment where we sit down at the table and we're reminded we did nothing to get this. His body, his blood, we can't earn this. There's nothing we could, there's no amount we could pay for this. It's too rich, it's too good. The only way we got it was to receive it. And we were reminded of this new covenant with us and God that we are completely dependent on him. So today as a church, we're gonna take this meal together and we're gonna be reminded of our dependency on God and how we don't wanna live without him. So as you take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was broken on our behalf, Take it and remember all that he's done. And as you take the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for all of us, do it and remember him. And for all of us who are here, and you've never let Jesus in. 
You've never began that relationship with him. Whether you have rejected him or just been oblivious to your need for him, I just want you to know he's at the door knocking. He wants a relationship with you, a relationship that can begin today. His harshest words were for this church, but also his sweetest promise was for them as well. He says, if you do this, if you let me in, I will share my father's throne with you. I will save a seat for you. I love the way the message translates this verse. It says, conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table, just as I have conquered, just as I, having conquered, took the place of honor at the side of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. It's a gift. That we have a seat at the head table. We have a seat with God. We spend so much of our lives wondering if we're gonna have a spot at that table. And if maybe if we can do enough or acquire enough or be good enough, then we'll be invited to sit there. I think it starts in school. When you get your, you get your lunch and you have that tray and you're walking out into that cafeteria looking, praying someone will wave you over to sit down at their table. And then we get a little bit older and we start to think, well, maybe if I can just do this or do that, then I'll be accepted at that table. If I can get enough, then I can bring enough to that table and I can be there. Jesus is the only one who is inviting us, not on our merits, not on what we've done, but what he's done. And here's the only thing you need to bring to the table, an acknowledgement of dependency. I need God. It's really the only thing you can bring to the table is yourself. Jesus has saved a seat for you. And what I wanna do right now is if you're in that space, you want that relationship, you wanna begin that today. You wanna be awakened fully to the life he has for you. I'm just gonna read a prayer. I'm gonna read it over you, over everyone. But if that's you, repeat these words after me, okay? So at all of our campuses, Close your eyes, bow your head, and pray with us. Father, I need you. I'm turning from my indifference. I'm turning from my sin. I want to move from independence to dependence on you. I believe Jesus fulfilled everything on my behalf. I believe Jesus went to a cross, died and resurrected. Jesus, you are my savior. I will spend the rest of my days following you. You are my Lord, Father, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And the church said, amen. Hey, can we celebrate everyone at all of our campuses that prayed that prayer for the first time? And what we wanna do is we're gonna stay together right now, all of our campuses. And I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet as we go into a time of worship. Prayer is one of those spaces where we're fully awakened to the presence of God. Worship is another one. And we stand today reminded of our dependence on God, reminded that it's not what we bring to the table, but who invited us to the table. It's not decided because of what we've done or what was done to us or our family tree. It's been decided because who he says we are. 
that we are chosen and not forsaken, that we are children of God. Can we worship together today under that umbrella? Let's go.